Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. I read a story uh, several years ago about a man named Robert Smith who was taking his afternoon walk, which was part of his therapy and recovering from a massive heart attack. The phone rang at his house and his wife, Dolores, answered. The call was from the Reader's Digest Sweepstakes headquarters in New York. They were calling to inform the Smith family that Robert had just won $10 million and that in a few days, a certified check would be arriving. As you can imagine, Dolores was absolutely ecstatic, but then she remembered her husband was just getting over a massive heart attack, and the doctor said, no excitement about anything. So Dolores was afraid if she told him that they'd won such a large sum of money, he could have another heart attack and this time die. What should she do? After some thoughts, she decided to call their pastor and ask his advice because he had some experience in breaking unusual news to people. So Dolores calls the pastor and explains the situation and asks if he can help. He said, I'll be right over. Robert Smith returns from his walk. Pastor comes over, strikes up a friendly conversation. Then he leans toward Robert and he says, Robert, got a problem I'm hoping you can help me with. Sure, pastor, happy to help if I can. Pastor said, it's a theoretical situation regarding money. What would a person, take you for instance, do If you suddenly found out you'd won like, say, $10 million, what would you do with all that money? That's easy, Robert replied. The first thing I would do is give half of it to the church, whereupon the pastor immediately had a heart attack and dropped dead. (laughs) It should not be that generosity is shocking in the church because people in the church should have taken a discipleship course called kingdomnomics. So, for those of you who may be joining us for the first time, we're so glad to have you with us in Lake County or Apopka or online. We are in the final week of a short series about what it looks like to step into the kingdom of God where there are different economic realities that followers of Jesus, the king, live by. One of the things that people quickly notice when they seriously study the teachings of Jesus is how much Jesus talked about money. Not because he wanted money, but because he wanted hearts and he knew that our heart is always present wherever our treasure is put. So while Jesus wasn't interested in making money, he was very interested in making disciples. So he talked a lot about money and we do too. Because we're trying to teach you to follow Jesus and one of the best ways to find out If someone is following Jesus, is to follow their money because the heart goes wherever money flows. And so in our Kingdomnomics course, we've already looked at three really important lessons. Kingdomnomics 101, a few weeks ago, we said this, God owns all. God is the only one who can legitimately say, mine. Everything we think we own really is only on loan, which leads us to Kingdomnomics 201, which is we steward everything. We are called to manage God's trust fund because we're not entitled, we're entrusted. And what we do with what God has entrusted to us will be on our final exam before the throne of God. And that's why last week's Kingdomnomics 301 message, Do Something, was so important to encourage us to take one step toward generosity because stewardship needs constant 
intention. You do not stumble into better stewardship. You're not accidentally going to drift into better management of God's resources. So last week, Pastor Dustin Agard gave us five very practical ways where you and I can take action. So today, we're ready for our final Kingdomnomics lesson. This is Kingdomnomics 401, Appreciate Anything. Now, for those of you that have been here for the last three weeks, you're just about ready to get your Kingdomnomics degree. And this final session is one of the simplest to grasp, yet it might possibly be the hardest to implement. So are you ready? Here's what Kingdom 401 says. You're only as rich as you think. Now, okay, that's not my hillbilly accent coming through right there. That's exactly what I meant to say. You're only as rich as you think. I told you in session one of Kingdom and Kingdomnomics that the foundation of good stewardship is God owns all. You build a stewardship lifestyle on that foundation. But Kingdomnomics 401 is the roof. You must cultivate a heart of gratitude to protect you from the many storms that want to tear down the economic house that you're building for God's glory. Gratitude is so essential to being a good steward because if you haven't been grateful for all that you've received, you're not going to be mindful that it all belongs to God in the first place. Here's how Paul describes this reality in his letter to the church at Rome. He says, they knew God, but they did not give glory to God or thank him. Their thinking became useless. So the first observation is this. When our thinking ceases, our thinking decreases. When our thinking ceases, our thinking decreases. Paul goes on. Their foolish minds were filled with darkness. They said they were wise, but they became fools. They traded the glory of God who lives forever for the worship of idols. Second observation. If you thank God less, you will inevitably think of God's substitutes more. If you don't thank God, your heart will turn to something or someone you can credit for your blessings, and this is how idolatry begins. So the scriptures are full of calls to thank God, not because he needs to hear it, but because we need to say it so our hearts don't get polluted. So Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to the believers in Colossae, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And to the followers of Jesus in Philippi, Paul writes, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. So let me ask you, are you fluent in the language of thanksgiving. Little boy was invited to a classmate's birthday party, and his mom told him to be sure to thank the lady for inviting him to the party before he left. When she picked him up, she said, did you uh, thank the lady? He said, no. Mom said, why not? He said, the little girl in front of me said, thank you. The lady said, don't mention it, so I didn't. Why don't we mention it more? Pastor Rick Ashley, who's the original source for 
a lot of the material in this series says this. We're not as fluent in thanksgiving as we need to be because we don't think we're as wealthy and as blessed as we ought to be. Let me say that again. We're not as fluent in thanksgiving as we need to be because we don't think we're as wealthy and as blessed as we ought to be. Pastor Rick says this. Here's what I've learned. Nobody thinks they're rich, but everybody knows somebody who is. Take a look at this. This is a chart I got out of a great book called God and Money. I encourage you, if you haven't come across that book, it's a great theological overview of the subject of God and money from the scriptures. Study that chart for just a moment. Nearly all of us view the world through a distorted lens, regardless of our income level. Where you locate yourself on this chart will vary according to actual income, but in almost all cases, we think we're less, we're, we're, we are less well off than we actually are. In almost every case. I don't care what, how much money you earn. An American earning the average household income wage of $43,000 is two and a half times better off than the global average household wage of $18,000. The point is, this chart is that, the, the point of the chart is that most often we spend far more time conducting upward comparisons than downward comparisons. We see ourselves here and we think, boy, everybody's richer than me. And the result of our constant focusing upward severely restricts our capacity for gratitude and generosity. In other words, when we don't, we don't thank because we don't think. We don't thank because we don't think. So for the next couple of minutes, you may get a little uncomfortable. But I'm going to persuade you that you are rich. Have you ever had your teeth fixed? If you've ever gone to a dentist, you're rich. Now, you might be less rich when you leave the dentist. <laughs> Have your kids ever played sports or took dance lessons or musical lessons and you bought a uniform, leotards, a guitar, or cleats? If you have, you're rich. Have you ever paid for a babysitter? You actually had enough money to pay someone to watch your kids for you. If you have, you're rich. Do you have a car? By the world's standards, you're rich. Do you have more than one car? You're really rich. Some of us have a car for every person in our house. In fact, your cars have their own house. They don't have to sleep outside at night. However, 25% of Americans, and I'm convinced that that percentage is exponentially higher for Floridians, if they have a two-car garage, they do not park either car in the garage because they have so much stuff that won't fit in their house in their garage because we're rich. More proof that we're rich? We upgrade all the time. We take perfectly fine clothes that still fit, or perfectly fine appliances that still work, or cars that still drive, or phones and other electronic devices that still work, and we'll get rid of it simply because we want something newer. That's how rich people think. Rich people aren't content with what they have now because they have the means to get whatever's next. So one day Jesus had thousands of hungry people to feed. 
but all they had was a few fish and a little bit of bread. And he did something interesting with that meager amount. He prayed and gave thanks for what he had. He prayed and gave thanks for what he had. And what happened next was a miracle. And we tend to do it the other way around. We say, God, give me a miracle, and then I'll say thanks. We say, God, you make sure I have enough, and we'll give you thanks, instead of giving thanks for what we have and watching how God makes sure it's enough. Friends, you're only as rich as you think. And if, as a Kingdomnomics graduate, you will cultivate a grateful heart, some amazing things will happen, one of which will be it will decrease entitlement. Thanksgiving decreases a sense of entitlement. There's an old story told about Abraham Lincoln walking down the road with his two sons following behind. They were young, and both are crying, and someone asked him what's wrong with them. He said the same thing that's wrong with the rest of the world. I have three walnuts, and each boy wants two. And we get upset, and we get discontent with what we have, and we complain that we don't have more even if it's at someone else's expense. So you need to be aware of the propaganda of a perpetually dissatisfied culture. Now, you already know by watching ads online or your TVs or your streaming devices that this is a season when you're going to be bombarded by a massive marketing campaign with the sole goal of making you dissatisfied. Beware of drinking the Kool-Aid of a culture that is constantly upset because it lives by the motto, I am owed. If we think we deserve it, We're not grateful when we get it, and we're bitter when we don't. Look at these words that Paul wrote to Timothy. Paul said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I'm going to be honest with you. I have been discontented many, many times in my life, but never once for lack of food or clothing. Never once have I woke up and didn't know if I was going to be able to eat that day. Never once have I prayed the Lord's Prayer, give me this day my daily bread, and prayed it literally because I'm rich. And Kingdomnomics teaches me to to define contentment in a new way. Paul's in prison in Rome. The church at Philippi sends him some money, and he's very grateful. And he writes them and tells them he is. And then he says, you just need to know that your gift did not change my attitude. My level of joy is not dependent on my level of abundance because, he says, I have learned to be content whether I have a little or when I have a lot. I've learned, he said, the secret of being content because I can do all things when Christ is giving me strength. Friends, contentment is something you learn. Nobody's born that way. And we learn this when we understand that we're not entitled. We're graced. James, the brother of Jesus, says it like this, don't be deceived. And he says this because it's easy to get deceived. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. Friends, Thanksgiving is a proactive antidote against deception, against discontentment, and against the spirit of entitlement. And it changes our why not me complaint into a why me, God, cry of contentment. Why have you given me all that you have? And when that happens, the next thing we'll see is Thanksgiving increases our enjoyment. Thanksgiving increases our enjoyment. I want to ask you a question. Do you really enjoy what you have? Do you really enjoy what you have? I'm going to make all the financial counselors a little nervous with this next statement. But the writers of Scripture talk more about enjoying your wealth than they do saving it. 
Writers of scripture talk more about enjoying your wealth than they do saving it. For example, the writer of Ecclesiastes says this, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, toil, this is a gift of God. God is a good, good father. And every good dad or mom wants to see their children enjoy what they have given them. Now, I grew up in a home that didn't have a lot of discretionary income. My mom and my dad worked hard and often had more than one job to make ends meet. So when they did splurge, like at Christmas or a birthday, it was special. And I think that's partly why I can remember almost every toy I got when I was a kid. And I remember one Christmas, I wanted an Evil Knievel action figure. Anybody remember Evil Knievel? All right, all you young people, Google Evil Knievel <laughs> and watch him try to jump Caesar's Palace fountains and his body comes off that bike and he breaks almost every bone in his body. Well, this was a popular toy this particular year because old Evil tried to jump the Snake River Canyon and that didn't work out too good for him. But as P.T. Barnum once famously quipped, the only bad publicity is no publicity. So he sold a lot of these toys. I think my dad got more enjoyment out of watching me play with that stupid thing than I did playing with it. It was supposed to be able to pop wheelies. You know, you wound it up and released it and jump over coffee tables. But the only thing it did was torment my mother's chihuahua. And I think that's what my dad enjoyed most. The only Christmas presents my parents did not enjoy me using was a set of drums. Imagine that. Just a heads up for parents. If you don't want to be annoyed, don't buy the toy. God wants us to enjoy what he lets us have. That's why Paul said to Timothy, he said, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who not sparingly, not barely, but richly gives us all we need for our Enjoyment. God loves it when we really do enjoy what we have. Two, uh, two chapters earlier in that same letter to Timothy, here's what Paul wrote. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. The more grateful you are, the more joyful you will be with what you have. That means we need to be very careful with their then thinking as opposed to here and now thinking. You know what there and then thinking is. There and then thinking says, when I get there and I get that, then I'm going to be happy. No, here and now, thank God and enjoy what you do have. I was out for lunch on my birthday with Pastor Dustin and uh, several of the ministry residents earlier this month. And one of them reminded me of a talk I did last year with the staff about what I had learned from each of the churches I served over the last 40 years of ministry. And I, frankly, I was impressed that he remembered that from a year ago. And then he said, have you learned anything in addition to that in this past year? And I thought, and I said, yes. It all goes quicker than you think. It all goes quicker than you think. So be present and be grateful where you are right now. It made me think of the old Adam Sandler movie, Click. And I'm pretty sure you did not think you'd hear Adam Sandler mentioned <laughs> in a message today. In that movie, Click, Sandler played an architect who was always behind schedule. 
and he was never on time, and he was never able to please his boss, and he had too many projects, and he had too much stress and too much pressure. And one night, he's out on a random shopping errand, and he comes across this really weird salesperson who shows him a special remote control that will allow him to skip ahead in his life whenever he doesn't want to go through something. At first, he uses it sparingly, but then he starts to use it routinely, and the next thing he knows, he's at the end of his life without his wife, without any meaningful relationships with his two children. He's alone, and he's sad. I have a tendency to mentally click ahead and think too much about there and then. And God calls me to enjoy here and now. I don't want to be that old guy confined to a chair 20 or 30 years from now, bitter about what I don't have anymore. I want to be the guy who here and now is grateful for what I do have. We've all heard that saying, well, you don't know what you have till it's gone. That may make a good country music song, but that's a terrible Christian hymn. Why can't you know what you have while you have it? Why can't you be grateful for it? Why can't you be thankful for it? right now. Again, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, enjoy what you have instead of desiring what you don't have. Good stewards enjoy what they have, and that's why they're able to employ what they have. The most joyful people are the most generous people. There's a reason, friends, the word miser and miserable come from the same root word. Because when you cultivate a grateful heart, It will produce engagement. Thanksgiving produces engagement. We've already determined that all of us are rich compared to the rest of the world. I don't care what standard you use. So let's be good at being rich. Remember that verse that Paul wrote to Timothy that said, God gives us richly everything for our enjoyment? Here's the very next verse. He says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Listen to me. Money makes a terrible master, but money is a wonderful servant when Jesus is your master. Money makes a terrible master, but money is a wonderful servant when Jesus is your master. Most kingdomnomics graduates, you're not going to take a vow of poverty. Maybe a few will, but not many. But all of us are going to take a vow of generosity. All of us will seek to engage in God's mission by being a river of blessings instead of a reservoir so that what God has richly given us will flow through us to a world that God is reaching. First international mission trip I ever went on was to the country of Poland back in the summer of 2003. Our uh, team was hosted by a wonderful Polish pastor named George Bajinski. What a great guy George is. And one day, just George and I were sitting around waiting on everybody to come down from their rooms to get on a bus. George said, I'm having some money trouble with our missions. And I thought, oh boy, he's going to ask me for more money right here. But he surprised me and he said this, we've been the recipients of so much mission money through the years that our people don't think they have to give. And then he said, why shouldn't our people Polish people go on mission trips to bless other people. Listen, when you treat people 
as if they're only receivers and never releasers, you belittle them and you rob them of dignity. Robert Lupton in his book, Toxic Charity, writes, when we do for those in need what they have the capacity to do for themselves, we disempower them. In other words, we can inflict unintended harm with our unexamined generosity. God created all of us not just to be recipients of his grace, but to be participants in his gracious mission to the world. So Paul writes, he will make you rich in every way so that you can always give freely. And your giving through us will cause many to give thanks to God. I don't know if you see that full circle. You're thankful to God's goodness to you, so you share that grace with with others who come to know God through your giving, who begin to thank God too. Listen to me, friends. Thanksgiving is not a day. Thanksgiving is a movement. Thanksgiving is the movement of the up there kingdom making itself known down here. It is the inevitable response to the generosity of God. To understand what it means to be a good steward, I've got to understand the gospel. Think about this. What did God need? What does God want that he didn't already have? Just one thing. Us. And so he gave. So he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is the reason for the season, but you and me are the reason he came. He came like us and became one of us and took our sins from us when he died from us because he could not imagine heaven without us. And I want to tell you this. Whenever we talk about the grace of giving, just remember, it's always rooted in the giving of grace. Kingdomnomics graduates are always thinking about Jesus. I don't know about your perspective, but from my perspective, this really hasn't been a series on money. This has been a series on the gospel because the gospel teaches me to think and to thank differently. Most extensive treatment of the subject of giving in the New Testament is what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 9. And here's the very last verse of that whole section. Everybody read it with me. Apopka, Lake County Online. Let's read this together. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Say it one more time. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. When you are overwhelmed with Jesus, when you just can't stop being grateful for Jesus, listen, when Jesus is your treasure, you will manage all your other treasures differently. And so the question I'll leave this series with is this. Is Jesus your treasure? Have you received the indescribable gift of God's grace? I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Would you bow your heads? Lake County, online, would you bow your heads? So, Father, right now, we come in this moment and we're so grateful for the gospel. The gospel that teaches us that the heart of this gospel is giving. And you, God, gave your son and Jesus gave his life and then he gave us the Holy Spirit. And you want to do that for anybody who will call on your name. Whoever believes and whoever calls on the name of the Lord 
will be saved. And so, Father, I pray right now, anybody in Apopka, anybody at Lake County, all those watching online right now, if their hearts are, are wanting to be open to you and to say yes, yes to following Jesus, yes to receiving the indescribable gift of Jesus, yes of making Jesus my treasure, I pray for them right now, and I pray that you'll just hear their yes. You might hear someone as they say, Lord, forgive me. Be merciful. I'm a sinner. I call on the name of Jesus right now. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for coming to us and giving us an invitation to follow you. We're so grateful for that. We call on you now. And the only name given under heaven and on earth by which anybody can be saved. Thank you for doing that. In Jesus' name we pray and we all agreed and said. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And through Jesus, anything is possible.